I believe without a shadow of a doubt that each and every person here wants to live an exceptional life. In fact, I think we believe that God wants us to be exceptional. And when I say that, I'm not talking about being famous. Fame has nothing to do with it. You may live an exceptional life and the world may not even know who you are. But you have had an exceptional life. Why? Because of your legacy. And here's the thing about legacies. You don't know honestly, fully, what your legacy will be or is. Because you don't know of all the people that you have touched in your life, who have touched other people, who have touched other people, and they are where they are because you touched that first person. But regardless, we want to live exceptional lives, and we want that for our kids too. Let me ask you this question. Would you say it is easier or harder to get people's attention today? I think it's harder, isn't it? Because there's so much competition out there from all kinds of various things. How do you and I get the attention of the culture of the world that we live in? There is only one thing that will get people's attention, and it is an exceptional life. An exceptional life is an impactful life. It's an outstanding life. It is a superior life. It is an uncommon life. It is a life worthy of attention. Human history is written by exceptional people. And I think if you and I would sit here, we could think of exceptional people, could we not? In the arts, in science, uh, in government, in sports. And what has made them exceptional, if we would talk about it, is that they were different from all the others. If you want to be like everyone else, guess what? You will not be exceptional. Exceptional is not common. It is not average. It is not ordinary. And if you want your kids to be exceptional, You must teach them not to care about being like others. The secret of being exceptional people is that they are willing to do what other people are unwilling to do. They are willing to develop habits that are uncommon. They are willing to put effort into something to make a difference. They are willing to pay the price. In these last several weeks, I've been doing a lot of reading for myself, to be honest, out of Harvard Business Review, and I came across an article in regards to middle managers that are stuck. They called these middle managers um, stuck because they had what they called limiting habits. And what's interesting, in this study of these managers, middle managers, they also surveyed their supervisors and they found out that these middle managers knew exactly what was keeping them stuck. And here's the kicker. And yet they chose not to do anything about it. 
And so as a result, they weren't exceptional. They were just common. Today we're going to take a look at one, we're going to take a look at how to build exception, exceptional life and exceptional kids. And we're going to take a look at four out of the ten qualities that this article talked about from a biblical perspective. Now the Bible is filled with exceptional people. Deborah, Esther, Job, Jonah, Nehemiah, and this guy named Daniel. Take a look at Daniel chapter 6 and verse 3. Daniel so distinguished himself from all the other leaders, or I should say, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. If you've been with me in this series in regards to Daniel that we started several weeks ago and have taken a break, you know that Daniel, when he enters into the book of Daniel, that he is a 15-year-old prisoner of war. And yet through the tests that he went through, God elevated him. And the reason that he was able to be elevated, to, to, to go beyond where he was at, was because of his exceptional qualities. Today, what I want to do is I want to take a look at four of these qualities, and I want to look at them from two perspectives. The first one is in your own life, as an adult, as a parent, as a grandma and grandpa, as, as an aunt or uncle. Things that you can do, things that you can develop, things that you can learn. And then secondly, for your kids. How do you develop these qualities in your children so that they rise Above the norm. That they are like a mountain in the desert. And people look at them and they say, I want a piece of that. That is where we're going in this message today. Now growing up, you heard no doubt about the three R's, right? Reading, writing, and arithmetic. When I first heard that as a kid, I thought, they don't start with R. Only one of them does. They must have misspelled those things, right? Today in our culture, everything is put on the emphasis of IQ. And yet what really makes the difference is EQ. As important as the three R's are, today we're going to take a look at the four R's that create an exceptional life and an exceptional kid. So let's get started. If I want exceptional kids, I first must build them into my life because more is caught than taught. And the first R is this. I must learn to be respectful. This is the starting point. Respect is the foundation for an exceptional life. Respecting others shows reverence for God and it shows up in the way that we treat everybody around us. Now, why is this the number one quality? It is because most people in our world are rude. Let me ask you this question. Is this world getting more respectful or disrespectful? I think it's disrespectful, right? Our civilization truly is becoming more uncivil. And as our civilization becomes more uncivil 
A respectful kid will stand out like a mountain in the desert. Here is my definition. To appreciate the uniqueness, value the worth, and affirm the dignity of everyone because God made them. Notice that there are three qualities. For a person to be respectful of everybody, it means that they appreciate the uniqueness of everyone because not everyone is like them or like you and I. They value the worth because they understand that God made them, that Jesus Christ died for them, that the Holy Spirit wants to live in them or they may be living in them. And they affirm their dignity and they do this with every person because they've all been made by God. I don't know if you realize this, but anytime you and I disrespect anything that God has made, we are dissing God. God says, hey, hold it. I made that. I made that person. I mean, do you think that, that I love you more than I love that other person? Do you think that you are more important than, than that other person is? When we don't respect other people, we're saying, God, you goofed. You made a mistake. God, you must have forgotten that I am the standard, okay, <laughs> here, okay? So God, you must have goofed. And you know what that's called when you and I think that way? It's called pride. In essence, when we criticize, when we show disrespect, we are revealing our ego, now, I am not at all saying that we have to approve of everything that someone does. I think we understand that. But we are to accept people. God has accepted us, and he doesn't approve of everything that we do at the same time. And those two things can be true at the same time. And yet God looks to bless people who are respectful and if you want your life, your family, your business, your kids to be blessed, you must respect everyone. This is foundational. Take a look at a couple of verses on this. Matthew 23, verse 12. If you put yourself above others, you will be put down. But if you humble yourself, you will be honored by others. Again, studies after studies report that employees who are disrespectful for others, folks, they get stuck. They don't make any progress in their careers. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Show real respect to everyone. Will you circle the word everyone? I looked that word up in the Greek, okay? Looking for some mystery there. And do you know what everyone means? Everyone. That's what it means. There is no exception. And if you go through God's word from Genesis through Revelation, you will find all kinds of different groups, all kinds of things that you and I should show respect to. Let me give you 10 very quickly. This is just a short list, by the way. The first one is this. I must show respect uh, for God's name and God's word. In other words, I don't use God's name in vain. God, oh no. I must show respect to my parents. This one comes with the promise of a long life. 
I must show respect to my spouse. Hey guys, this one comes for a promise to answered prayer. I must show respect for other church members and add on there and the pastors. Just, I know it's a little self-serving. I must show respect to older people. Have you ever heard of that phrase, respect your elders? Guess where it comes from? The Bible. I must show respect to unbelievers, whether they believe in God or not. They may be an atheist, they may be an agnostic, they may come from a different religion. I must show respect to the poor. In fact, God says this, that when you don't care for the poor, you insult God. I must show respect to immigrants. Folks, this is mentioned over 10 times in Scripture. Is that a hot topic in our culture today? I hope to address that. I must show respect to my opponents, my enemies. It's easy to show respect, is it not, to those that are like you. But it's a totally different thing when you show respect to those who are your opponents. And that leads to the last one I have. I must show respect to government leaders. They even may be of the opposite party. God calls us to respect everyone. Now here's the deal, because you and I are Christians. We are believers. We are followers of Christ. And it's this. You will never win anybody to Christ that you disrespect. Respect is the bottom line. But Pastor George, this person treated me disrespectful. Okay, I'm sorry. But we're not talking about behavior. If that were the case, nobody would respect anybody else because guess what? We all have flops and failures and fumbles in our life, right? I know that some of you have been disrespected behavioral-wise from your parents. Understand something. God didn't choose your parents because they were good at parenting. They, God chose your parents because they had the right DNA to make you you. You're what's important. Now, if I want my kids to be exceptional, then I must model this. Now, this isn't hard. There is one rule that encompasses all those 10 and plus more, and it's the rule that we are very familiar with. It's called the golden rule. Take a look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. In everything, do to others what you would want them to do for you. This sums up all the law and the prophets. It's not rocket science, is it? It's really pretty simple. The second R of an exceptional life, to, to raise exceptional kids, is I must be reliable. Because if I am not, nobody is going to trust me. And if nobody's going to trust me, then guess what? You can't do business with other people. You can't lead them. You can't influence them. You can't impact their life. Now, this word reliable is not found often in Scripture. It is more of a modern term. The word that is in Scripture is trustworthy or faithful. The Bible talks about you and I being faithful as a friend, faithful as a spouse, faithful to God, faithful to our church, faithful to our families. 
So here's my definition. Reliability means being dependable, trustworthy, honest, loyal. And you know what? These things are rare qualities today. Take a look at Proverbs 20, verse 6. There are plenty of people who will tell you, you can trust me, but it is hard to find someone. Will you circle that? Hard to find. Someone who is truly trustworthy. In other words, it's rare. Folks, it's exceptional when you and I find someone that we can totally trust. And understand this. This is one of the things that businesses look for. Are you reliable? Now, how do I develop that kind of reputation in my life and in my kids? Well, folks, there's a number of different ways, but let me give you three. The first one is this, always tell the truth. If you don't always tell the truth, then you're not reliable. If I'm honest just 80% of the time, am I reliable? I don't think so. Take a look at Proverbs 17, 17. Respected people do not tell what? Lies. I mean, what would you think if I came up to my wife in our dating stage and I said, Cheryl, I just want you to know I'm a faithful guy. I will be faithful to you 28 days out of the month. Do you think she would have said yes to me? I don't think so. She just looked at me and says, you're telling me that you're going to be unfaithful two days out of the month. Yeah. I'm being faithful. Forget you, Jackson. The second way that we can do this is by always doing what I've promised. This shows reliability to our bosses. This shows reliability to our employees, our friends, our family. Take a look at this verse, Proverbs 25, verse 13. Reliable friends who do what they say are like cool drinks in sweltering heat, refreshing. You see, a reliable friend follows through with what they said, even if it costs them. As I like to say, I swear to my own hurt. If I said it, I'm going to do it. Take a look at Proverbs 15.4, or Psalms 15.4. They keep their promises to their neighbors, even when it hurts. Have you ever made a commitment to somebody? Say, hey, yeah, I'll show up, I'll be there. And at the time, you had every intention to do so. But later on during the week, or maybe in a couple of weeks, you found out there was something better that you would like to do with that time. And so you didn't show up for the former. The Bible says a reliable person keeps a promise even when it hurts. Folks, that's reliability. And it is rare. It is so rare that it is exceptional. And so you and I, we tell the truth. We keep our promises. But then there's a third one. I always keep confidential information. I always hold close to my chest things that have been told, told to me in confidence. 
And I consider this one a big one for myself and for pastors. If someone talks to you and they're saying this, please keep this in competence. I do. This is one of the 10 areas that holds people back in being exceptional at work. And you know what? I want to know what this is called? It's called gossip. Gossip keeps a lot of people stuck in life where they, because they can't keep a secret. They just have to tell other people with what's going on. If somebody told you something, could you keep it a secret? This is a rare quality. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13. Gossips can't keep secrets, but a trustworthy person can. You and I will never be exceptional if we can't keep a secret. And oh, by the way, when people gossip to you about someone else, understand they will gossip about you as well, right? They do. Why? Because there is power in information. It makes them feel like they are in control, that they are superior. I love this same verse out of the NLT. It said, let me read this. I, I, a gossip goes about telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a competence. So how do you and I do this? How do you and I do this with our kids? Well, let me give you just several suggestions. There, there's lots of ways, okay? The first one is this. If you've done wrong, admit it. I had a pastor come up to me who has observed my life. And they said, George, one thing I've learned from you, and they don't go to this church, there's just an interaction, is that when you do something wrong, you just say, I blew it. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that. Yes, I said I'd do that, but I didn't. I was wrong, will you forgive me? Instead of trying to justify it. The second thing that you can do is when someone is sharing a confidence with you about someone else, hey, do you want to know the skinny on what's going on with so-and-so? You stop them and you just ask this question. Do I need to know that information? I have a lot of people come to me all the time. George, you, you, hold it. Do I need to know that information? The third way is when you have been gossiped about, resist being bitter and resolve to be better at being reliable. It's not the three R's that cause people to be exceptional. Rather, it is the four R's. And that is what we're looking at. Respect, reliability. The third R is resourcefulness. If you want to be exceptional, have an exceptional life, have an exceptional kid, I must learn to be resourceful. Now let me explain this. Who are resourceful people? They are people who figure out solutions to problems. They look for creative answers. They, look, they are problem solvers. Look at this definition that I wrote down. Resourcefulness is making the most of what I have. Stop right there. Do you make the most of what you have? 
I've known some brides that had an open-ended budget. Not good for mom and dad. But then when mom and dad put a limit on it, all of a sudden resourcefulness came, came through. Resourcefulness is making the most of what I have and finding solutions to problems that offers that others have overlooked. That's what it means to be resourceful. In other words, I do my best with what I've got for Jesus Christ today. And I don't look for perfect conditions. No, I just do the best with what God has given me for him today. Folks, that is resourcefulness. And you and I need resourcefulness in our finances because none of us here has an unlimited amount of money. Would, if you do, will you please raise your hand right now? None of us here has an unlimited amount of time. We need to be resourceful with our time. We need to be resourceful in our health and in our relationships because we live in a broken world, do we not? Nothing is going to be perfect about our bodies, our health, our relationships. Nothing. There's always going to be something wrong. And that is why you and I need to be resourceful. Let me give you a great biblical example of this. Take a look at Philippians 4, verse 12. Paul says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or with a little. Paul goes, says, hey, guess what? I can live if I'm up or if I'm down, if I'm rich or if I'm poor, if I've got good circumstances or if I've got bad circumstances. I can live with it. What is he talking about here? He's talking about resourcefulness. And people who are resourceful do not have to have a perfect environment, perfect situations to make a difference. In fact, resourceful people will make a difference with what they have. They are, the, they are those who change the world. They are those who impact other people. They are those who have families that stand out above the others. So let me give you some suggestions to help as a parent with your kids. The first one I would say is this. Don't always solve your kids' problems. Don't always answer all their questions. Help them solve their problems and answer their questions by establishing a process by which they can solve it for themselves. When you and I make all the decisions for our kids, when we solve all the problems for our kids, you and I are actually creating dependency. We are robbing them of their dignity and we are, going, we are, and we are not helping them to grow. I actually believe it is more important to learn how to solve problems than it is to solve the problem itself. Why do I say that? Because problems come and go, don't they? They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. But how we learn to solve them can last a lifetime. Now, how do you and I do that? By asking questions. 
by asking questions. You lead them and you guide them with questions. And Jesus was a master at this. In fact, if you study the Gospels, you will see that Jesus asked more questions than he ever answered. It's because through questions, it gets people to think and to process. And so when a child comes to you with a problem, first acknowledge the problem. You know what, I'm sorry that you have that problem. And then include yourself in on the journey by saying, what can we do to solve this problem? It builds a team. It builds an atmosphere in that relationship that when they find uh, troubles and questions, they, that they'll seek you out. Folks, to this very day, my kids call me. Dad, I'm going through this. How did they get there? It's because we taught, I include, hey, let's, what, what solutions, what creative answers can you come up with? Let's think about those together. Now remember, when you do that, you are guiding them. And if they give the wrong answer, what do you do? I've had some of my kids at different times, well, I'm just gonna hit him in the nose. Well, how will that work for you? Do you think that's going to get you any further? What are the consequences of that decision? By doing this, what we are doing is we are building the resourcefulness muscle. If you and I solve or answer all of their questions, solve all of their problems and answer their questions, what will happen is that we will keep them in diapers all of their life. In mission work, this is called a hand up and not a hand out. So let's take a look at the last one. If I'm going to build an exceptional life, an exceptional career, an exceptional family, an exceptional child, I have got to learn to be resilient. This is the fourth R. That means I don't give up when I fail. I don't give up when I drop the ball. I don't give up when I make a mistake. I get up, I dust myself off, and I continue to kick that can down the road. Truly today, we live in a culture that is filled with people who don't know how to be resilient. You and I hear it on the news all the time, snowflakes. Probably half the generation behind us is described that way. They're not resilient. When something goes wrong, instead of saying, hey, if you first don't succeed, try again, they say, if you first don't succeed, just quit, okay? Give it to someone else. Let someone else find the answer to it. When you are resilient as well, you don't label yourself as a victim. Here's what resilience is. Will you write this? Or it's in, here's the definition. Resilience is the ability to bounce back and to recover from a loss or from a failure or from, a, or from stress or from disappointment. This is one of the skills that, that causes an employee to rise above the others. People who are respectful, reliable, resourceful, and resilient, I guarantee you this, will never have a problem finding a job. Take a look at Proverbs 24, verse 16. When good people stumble, even if they fall seven times, they will get 
back up. Will you circle the phrase good people? When good people stumble. When righteous people stumble. When they make a bad decision. When they have flops, failures, and fumbles in their life. They get back up. Why? Because they're good. There's something within them that causes them to rise up. And I think part of it is because they understand that failure doesn't have to be final. It doesn't have to be fatal. Truly, failure is how you and I learn how things don't work. Edison, Edison tried 800 different metals before he finally found tungsten for the light bulb. He discovered 800 different ways, 800 different things, I should say, that didn't work. And you want to know what his secret was? He failed fast. He didn't wallow in the mire. He got up quickly, dusted himself off, and moved on. Now, studies have shown that parents who protect their kids from failure, from feeling failure, fear failure more than others. Letting our kids feel failure helps them to understand that failure is okay. That it's not the end of the world. That it doesn't have to be fatal. If we give our kids the idea that life is going to be rainbow and roses, when they get out into the real world, they're going to be shocked. Life is challenging. And resilience causes one to rise above. Take a look at this quality in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. Paul said this, We're often pressured from every side, but we're never crushed. Sometimes we don't know what to do, but we never despair. And sometimes we're attacked and abused, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again and keep going. And in PG's phrase, and again, and again, and again, and again. How do you and I as adults build this in to the generation that's coming behind us? I think the best way to do that is by sharing your failures with them. That's how. You know what? I tried this. didn't work. And what they see is, wow, that didn't stop you. You just kept going. Truly, people learn more from our failures than they do from our successes. And so we got to be resilient. And what does that take? Right here. They, or Moses said in Psalms 90, Lord, teach me to number my days that I might present before you a heart of wisdom because God, I want to reach my kids. It's seeking God. And it's understanding that time goes by fast. When they're born to the time they're age, 18, you have 936 weeks with them. By the time they get to third or fourth grade, half that time has gone by. And that's a lot of times when we start to wake up and say, wow, they're growing up. Between here and there is the time to build these qualities in their life. 
Because between here and the time they get to be 16, there's 364 weeks. And honestly, when they get to driving, you're not going to see them much. And they're going to have other friends that are going to be far more influential in their life. I hate to say this than you are. And so, God, teach me to number my days. Because I want to present before you a heart of wisdom. And God, give me a spirit of resilience. Because this thing called parenting can be pretty easy when they're eight and nine years old. But when they get to be teenagers, whoa, it's another thing. I loved what James Dobson said. When they become teenagers, be a submarine captain and just get in, buckle it down, and submerge and come up on the other side of it when it's over. And I thought that's a lot of good advice. I want you to watch this video because I think it'll touch your heart and I think it'll communicate to you what we need to be developing in our kids' lives. Take a look at this. Bring it up hard and bring it down fast. Hard and fast. Let's go, boy. Don't fall. You gotta stay on your feet. Come on. Phoenix, go straight through your body. Get down. Back up. Back up. Make a fight. This is a good one. Now hit it hard. Hit it with the heel. Hit it with the heel. Hit it with the heel. Yes, you can do it. Come on. Yes, you can do it. But you gotta do it. Look at me. You have to hit it hard, though. You cannot hit it light. You have to hit it hard. Go. Let me close with this thought. Parenting is tough, and we need to be resilient. And the cost for not doing so is the next generation. And it is our church, and it is our community, and it is our nation, and it is our world. The cost is too high, in my opinion. And so whatever you do, don't give up. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy, your patience, your forbearance, your resilience with me. God, I don't know if I would have stuck with me <laughs> knowing all the things that I've done. But God, you have. And I thank you that you are with all of your kids, that you have a spirit of forbearance because you want to raise them up as trophies of grace, as exceptional people.
exceptional marriages, exceptional families, that our world might see that we're different. That they might be attracted to who you are and what you want to do in their life. God, would you do that? Would you do that, God, in us? And would you do that for us in our church? Would you do that for our community, God? Would you do that for our world that we live in? May we see, God, our lives being that which can be modeled in such a way that it can impact the next generation. That we can reach it without even being here. God, you can do it. And I'm going to ask you, God, that you would do that for your glory and for your good. I don't know where you're at. I don't think anything touches the heart of a person than the family that they grew up in or the family that they have right now. It can make you feel like you're a great success. And it can make you feel like you're the the worst of failures. Can I just encourage you to talk to God about your family and seek his face? God, just say a prayer like, God, I need your help. I need you to work in me, God. And I need you to work through me because I understand that more is caught than taught. And so God, Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Give, help me to know that the one in me is greater than anything on the outside of me. And so I lift this up to you. God, we give you this. In your Christ's name we pray. Amen.